So, you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that in a premeditated manner in the location of your choosing than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In Podcast. Now, you'll still miss out on some fun things like the way that uh, intergenerational community is supportive and encouraging. You'll miss out on some inspiring music and charming children at children's time. And we can't hand you a cookie through your iPad, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or perfect preachers. We are your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or maybe coaching your kids' soccer team or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just ask that you would keep an open mind and an open heart. A quick note. We don't expect that you will agree with everything we say. In fact, we want you to use your brain and encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. Our sincere hope is, though, that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So on Sunday, it was uh, October 29th. It was the closest Sunday to Halloween, Mm -hmm. and we encouraged as many people as wanted to, but particularly the children, to wear their Halloween costumes to church. And I always wear my Halloween costume to church, even when church is not on a Halloween. And uh, normally I wear a costume that is not too far out of, you know, it comes out of my closet most of the time. So. Right, like there's a wig yeah, and maybe when some I was, makeup. Yeah, wig, makeup, and maybe like an accessory or two. But like I've been like a steampunk pilot and I've been a scarecrow and I've been a cowgirl and I've been, you know, boring yeah. things that require a wig. I've been Wenda from Where's Waldo? But otherwise are clothes that are not dissimilar to what other people are wearing in the church. Right. This year I decided to change that a little. I wanted an excuse to buy one of those eight foot tall inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex costumes. And uh, so I did. Well, and the excuse you had wasn't just this. It was that you're that squirrel... Oh, yes. Squirrel had a Triceratops costume So you wanted to coordinate with your dog. And I really, I tried to be the people from the Flintstones, but the costumes are terrible. And I didn't want to make one. So anyway, so I was a T-Rex. And what that meant was I started worship in normal clothing. And then during the first hymn, sprinted to my office, got Squirrel into her Triceratops costume, and put on my giant inflatable eight-foot-tall Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. And then came in at the opportune moment during children's time to make a point. <laughs> so I've spent the last few weeks thinking, how on earth can I tie in my right. Tyrannosaurus Rex the, costume? the message and then the costume. This is the costume, costume and, and then, then the message. message. It's a little proof texty. How can, but... I, uh, how can I figure out how to relate this to the children's moment this day? Well, it's also October 29th, 2017. And October 31st, 1517, was when Martin Luther pinned a note on a door and the Protestant Reformation began accidentally. And so we talked about Reformation. Methodists have a complicated relationship with the Reformation, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I thought, well, we can make make this work because dinosaurs are extinct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some practices in church should or have become extinct. And so we talked about that. And so uh, we teamed up. My children's minister started off children's moment with 
you know, what do you do with bad food in the refrigerator after it's gone rotten? Do you keep it or do you get rid of it? And what about uh, clothes that are too small? Should You know, she pulled, held up a two-month-old newborn t-shirt and said, I love this shirt. Should I wear it? And the kids <laughs> had to say, no! Uh, Missy being 6'1 or something, <laughs> not not fitting not in newborn fit clothes that. anymore. And, uh, and no, 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 you should, you should get rid of it. And she said, well, do you, do any of you have toys that are broken that you don't get rid of or that you don't use anymore, but you don't give them away? You hold on to them. And they said, well, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, okay. She goes, what other things shouldn't be around anymore? And then I made my grand entrance roaring in my microphone with my <laughs> giant T-Rex costume on and came running into the church and squirrel came running in with me and immediately started licking the children. And we talked about it's good for some things to go away. I said, what would happen if you had a T-Rex walking down Main Street or walking down the street in front of your house? What would happen? And they said, oh, that would be scary. And the T-Rexes would eat us. And then one kid who I love was like, actually, T-Rexes were scavengers, so they didn't attack. They just found meat and ate it. <laughs> I was like, it's good to know that. And also, we probably don't want T-Rexes walking down the street anymore. And if you don't believe me, there's this whole Jurassic Park movie series about why it's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> to have dinosaurs with humans. And I said, you know, um, some things go extinct and that's okay. Yeah. Some things go away and we need to be thinking about what are the things that don't work anymore that we need to get rid of? Because if you ate a rotten egg, you'd get sick. Mm-hmm. But if you eat a, a fresh egg, that's really helpful and life-giving. And so some things are good, but they just outlive their purpose. Yeah. And so we have to figure out what we're going to do with those things. And we prayed together and the kids went off to Sunday school and I told them to walk this way, and then I did my best T-Rex impersonation in my costume, and they all, like, T-Rexed it out of the church with me as they went on their way to Sunday school. And when we got into the the area next to the, the sanctuary, which we call the parlor, I, like, turned off the fan and unzipped and, like, popped my head out of the costume. And these little, these little girls who were, like, two, three, four years old were all, like, that was really scary, Pastor Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but the addressing so- or being the dinosaur. The, being the dinosaur, they were like, that was really scary. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Was, we were just having fun, you know? And they said, yeah, well, I guess live and learn. And off they went to Sunday school. <laughs> it just slayed me. But uh, so then I went back in and, you know, I, I got in just in time for scripture and sermon and all that stuff. But it was kind of a fun, fun Sunday for me. Yes. And the organizing scripture for our worship service was... Uh, from Matthew 22, we're still in the middle of Jesus having this kind of intellectual face-off with the religious right. elites of his day. He's trying to drop the mic and they keep picking it back up. Yeah, and so he's argued with the Pharisees and then he's argued with the Sadducees and they argued about resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection, uh, which made them sad, you see. Oh. Three years of theological education, that's still how I remember that. So he's argued with the Pharisees, he's argued with the Sadducees, and the Pharisees come back for round two. It says this, is when the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. <laughs> One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, they said to Jesus, which command in God's law is the most important? And I said, what are the commandments, y'all? I know there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, but what are the what are the commandments? What are the Ten Commandments? And it took us a little time, but my congregation named all ten. Good job. I was proud of them. And not in the good order. Like, it's easier for me if you do them in order because they're organized in a particular way. Then we jumped around a little bit, but we got all ten of them. I was good. very proud. And I said, now, which one of those is most important? And everybody just stared. And I said, yeah, you can't answer the question because if you say which commandment is the most important... 
then there's nine other things you're saying are less important and that gets you in trouble. And said, so what Jesus did was he answered the question in this way. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs and everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. You've probably heard it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. So this is the scripture we're coming to. And what they're asking is just a question to get him in trouble. But what Jesus is saying is that this Shema, this Deuteronomy 6, 4 Mm -hmm. through 5, which every Jewish kid would have known, which was like the most important summary Mm -hmm. of everything. This is a totally normal answer to this question. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. But what Jesus did was take another thing that was totally normal and ordinary and common and put it next to it in a way that they hadn't done before. He didn't invent anything new. He took two parts of his tradition and put them together. And and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, "This this is the same as this is the important thing next to this other one. So my question is, what does it look like to love God? Because loving people is pretty easy, right? Like, you know, we can, we can hug them. We can say nice things to them. All those, the five love languages, right? Acts of service <laughs> and gifts and words of affirmation right. and quality time and physical touch. All those things we can do with other human beings. But with God, it gets a lot harder. And so how do we love God? So we talked about what is genuine worship. Yeah. And worship for us is not about saying I'm a worm and laying on the floor prostate, prostrate, <laughs> not prostate. Uh, <laughs> well, la- that's up in the air. Something but- else. Uh, it's not about demeaning yourself before some great and powerful almighty thing. Before the great and powerful Oz? Yeah. It, what it is for us is it's directing all of our attention towards God with love and gratitude. And some people do that in worship and some Mm -hmm. people do that in other ways. And so we talked about how people have done that. In the 12th century, Uh there was a movement called Sefer Hasidism, Mm -hmm. which was a movement within Judaism. And there were writings within this movement. And one of the writings described loving God as more passionate and explosive than the intercourse of two lovers after a long separation. (laughs) Yes, that kind of intercourse. Described loving God in in an erotic fashion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The medieval contemplatives often wrote romantic poetry about God. And Mm -hmm. so John John the Cross wrote On a Dark Night, which is a poem about God. And it's like two lovers with limbs entwined in repose in a garden, sneaking away in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this erotic poetry about God. It's like if if you changed God to baby is the kind of thing your parents wouldn't let you read when you were a kid you know like it's the kind of thing that gets banned from facebook posts it's it's really kind of hot stuff i talked about contemporary praise music mm. sometimes it gets a bad rap because it's very repetitive and it's mm-hmm. very like jesus is my boyfriend and right. the same 12 words over and over again right or that the whole like is a, is a christian band singing about jesus or their girlfriend yeah exactly like if you change again if you change jesus to baby what would the song be about and there's this really great episode of South Park where Cartman, who is decidedly the most irreverent of the crew of children, 
decides to do the thing that we talked about in the last episode a little bit that I did was the one about manipulating Christians uh-huh. for money. Yeah. And he decided that he might not be able to make a band, but he could make a praise band. <laughs> and so he just took all of these pop songs and changed baby to Jesus. Jesus. Yep. And some of them were incredibly erotic kind of songs, very, yeah. you know, suggestive. And uh, and he ended up becoming like the number one praise musician in the country <laughs> overnight. He couldn't write songs. He couldn't write lyrics. He couldn't write music. He didn't have any skill. But he became this yeah. hit sensation because he took these songs or whatever. That, that contemporary Christian praise music often gets a bad rap because it's a little bit. Yeah. But it's well in keeping with the idea yeah. that yeah. that our love for God is passionate. And so, you know, I, I don't know how everybody chooses to do that we might all do that differently but when jesus is talking to the pharisees the thing that he decides to hang next to it is to love your neighbor as yourself and and he's not destroying his tradition by doing that he he says i didn't come to destroy but to fulfill right the law and so he's helping us to get, get to a dif- different and deeper understanding of what it looks like to love god which is kind of an abstract idea so then we talked about Martin Luther, and we shared a lot of the same stuff in our sermons about his his role and responsibility. He was a professor of moral theology mm-hmm. at uh, Wittenberg, University of Wittenberg in Germany, and a priest had disagreed with his religious establishment about a number of things at various times, but was particularly disturbed about the selling of indulgences. So he wrote this theological academic paper on ethics, which is his, his job. Thing. And invited other academics to join him in a conversation about it, which is his job and nothing outside of the ordinary. And it was called Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. <laughs> but we call it the 95 Theses. Theses. And I like some of the things that you said about, like, this wasn't 95 different points of contention. This, these were 95 points in one argument about what is the purpose of indulgences. Right. So, and, you know, he took it pretty seriously. And they, and they weren't argumentative. He wasn't throwing fire here. No. They really are framed as questions like authentic questions how can this how can these two things exist in this same yeah how do we have this conversation together and his sort of two undergirding ideas were were that the bible is the central authority and that the bible doesn't talk about indulgences the bible (laughs) talks about a lot of things like repentance and forgiveness but not indulgences and and the other part part uh, that undergirded his philosophy was that we are saved by faith and not by deeds including by gifts and so if we trust God or if we trust indulgences, you know, if we, if we think we have to earn our way into heaven. And so he invited academics to this conversation and his friend who was also an academic decided to disperse his things in a, in a more common language to any literate German who wanted to read them, which, which ended up throwing some fire and playing into some of the political stuff that was going on at the time there, which was distrust of the church, distrust of authority in general, like all of these things in the German peasantry against the elites. And so it just ended up sort of sparking this bonfire that he never intended for it to spark. It took a year for the Pope to respond to him. And the Pope at the time just kind of went, well, that's not right. But didn't really go any farther than that. like, whatever. But other middle management guys in the Catholic Church kept pushing the issue and then it kept catching on. And so four years after, four years and about a, a couple of days after he originally sent these debate questions up on the, again, on the notice board between the ad for the futon and somebody who needs a roommate. He was excommunicated. And at his trial, he is famous for having spoken the following words. He said, 
here I stand, God help me, I can do no other. (laughs) That he was trying to authentically ask the question of how do we have a loving relationship with God? Yeah. Uh, I think he's asking the same question that we have always been asking. How Mm -hmm. do we have an authentic, genuine, loving relationship with God? And he just happened to think that maybe the selling of indulgences to the extent that the Catholic Church in Germany was doing it at the time wasn't helpful. Maybe needed some reflection. He, he went into hiding after that. He went to a castle and lived in a cell at this castle for 10 months and translated the New Testament into German. He wanted more people. Well, if you're going to read what I wrote, then definitely read what other people wrote about Jesus. <laughs> right. He translated that into German, which was great. And actually, it's become the standard for high German to this day. Uh, he went off the rails a little bit after that. He married a nun. They had five children. He continued to translate the Bible into German. But in his later days... He was not the kind of guy we want to go grab a beer with. Like, he eventually decided that the Pope was the Antichrist, which we think is maybe an overstatement. He thought that the Jews should be expelled from Germany. Mm-hmm. So, so super problematic. Agree. Obviously fought a war about that one. And that every man should be a polygamist because of the Old Testament. So he went from being a celibate Catholic priest. priest to marrying a nun to thinking everybody should have more than one wife. Which, you know, problematic. Yeah. yeah. So... This goes to show that just because you get something right once... Doesn't mean you're always right. Doesn't mean you're always right. We think of the Reformation sort of happening overnight. Mm. And it didn't. It took years. It took years. Years and years. And so, yeah, absolutely. And so 500 years later, we're still asking this question, how do we love God? And different churches come up with different answers. answers. Different people within different churches come up with different answers. And I think we're stronger for the diversity of responses to that question. In our church, we have folks who show their love for God by showing up on Sunday mornings and distributing food with our drop-in-the-bucket food pantry or or through prayer, through their prayer ministry or through music. Or Mm -hmm. maybe people write their own, I don't know, sassy poetry about God. But we all have these different ways of relating And so what I challenged my congregation to do was to stop talking about God in the third person more than we talk about God in the second person. Mm. So instead of saying God this and God that, to say God you this or you that, and to change the conversation and see how that changes our answers answers in the next week or so, like to just kind of live with that for a while. I also said, you know, Martin Luther was questioning tradition and he was lifting up scripture. And in the Methodist church, we don't have to pick between the two. Right. I talked about the quadrilateral and a little bit about how we fall into this. So John Wesley came along in the 1700s, mm-hmm. uh, founder of the Methodist movement within the Anglican church. Anglicans were not really Catholic Re- and they weren't really part of the Reformation. So our Anglican church, Church of England, started because Henry VIII wanted a divorce and to steal the money off the monasteries. Right. So it really had very little to do. He didn't want to answer to the Pope either. Right. And so... The Anglican Church was basically Catholic light. So it was a Catholic church in England, which is still the state church of the United Kingdom. The Wesley brothers and their pals were creating a reform movement within the Anglican Church. So it was sort of parallel to the Protestant Reformation, maybe a little bit after, a couple hundred years after it. But it wasn't part of the Lutheran school of thought. It wasn't part of the Presbyterian school of thought. John Wesley was in conversation with both of those Right, but he had had other conversational partners outside of Reformation. Folks who were already in dissent from the Catholic Church far before the the Reformation. It's never that simple. It's It's basically the answer. (laughs) It's still an Anglican model, but the idea that we don't just use tradition or just use experience or just use scripture to figure out our theology in the Methodist Church, we get to use all of it. And so we use scripture and experience and tradition and reason. And it's 
part of our tradition to question. It's part of our tradition to invite people into conversation. It's part of our uh, tradition to recognize that because we got it right once doesn't mean we get it right every time. Yep. It's part of our tradition to live into the questions. And so uh, we talked about, well, how will you love the Lord your God this week? And are there things that you need to get rid of because they don't work anymore? Yeah. A lot of my friends uh, who are pastors ended up preaching about, here are the things that need to be reformed within the church right now. But I think I can tell people all day what I think is wrong with the church. And I still recognize that on a local church level, the work is to love God and love neighbor and to enter into those conversations with our denomination about how we do that well. Yeah. That we're insulated from those in some ways and not in others, but that we are constantly questioning who is God calling us to be in this time, in this place, here and now. And then I told the pot roast story again because I love that one. You know, the pot roast story. Oh, yeah. Why we cut off the ends. Yeah. So the yeah. young young woman is making a pot roast for the first time and she... Her husband's like, why are you doing that? Yeah. She cuts off the ends of the pot roast and puts it in the pan with all the potatoes and carrots and everything else. I just made a pot roast on Saturday, so I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and uh, and she said, I don't know. My mom always did that. And so they call her mom and the mom says, well, I don't know. My mom always did that. And they call the grandma and the grandma says, my pot roast pan was too small. I couldn't get the pot roast in the pan without cutting off the ends. So... Sometimes we do things because we've been taught to do them in a certain way, but they might not serve the same purpose that they used to serve. So what are the things that you do that are just leading you in a circle of insanity? And what are the things that you might need to rethink Yep. as you move forward? How will you love God this week? And aren't we all glad that T-Rexes are no longer around? Amen for that. We call it the Shenanosaurus Rex. The Shenanosaurus Rex. We get into some shenanigans in that costume. Yes, I can't wait to hear about the shenanigans after Tuesday night. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to this Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to the topics we've been discussing today, maybe you have some Tyrannosaurus Rex stories, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or look us up on our website at sundaymorningsleepin.com or on Facebook at Sunday Morning Sleep-In. The scripture for this podcast is Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. And... The theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a worship service and at the end of our podcast to give you a blessing. But here's the deal. You have already been blessed. God loves you. God has your image inscribed on the palms of God's hand. And that's kind of cool. So you have already been blessed because God is present with you. And the question for you then is how will you respond to that? How will you love God? I tell people at the end of every service to go out and love every person they meet, even the ones they don't think deserve it because God thinks they do. And then I said, but what if God was one of those people? (laughs) How do you love God this week? How will you live into your own skin and love and listen and serve and seek justice? Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving.